Genesis 5. We're going to knock out again. Last week, I attempted to do a whole chapter, and I'm going to... I don't know how great I did in doing a whole chapter, but I'm going to do it again. Just caution to the wind. Um, And what's really interesting is I don't know if anyone has studied genealogies, but Genesis 5 is a genealogy. And so... um, we're going to get some cool stuff out of a genealogy. So I'm excited uh, to do that. So open up to Genesis 5, and we'll read through it really quick. As I said, it's a genealogy, so don't expect it to be super exciting at face value. But as we unpack it, you'll see that there's, there's value to it. It's interesting that um, scholars actually are mostly into genealogies because they find so much in uh, lineage and then in the the ages and whatnot. And so it's, it's funny just to see that there's guys that when they go to scripture to study and to find the deepest stuff, they go straight to genealogy. So I doubt we're going to get that deep, but we'll find some cool stuff. So Genesis five, and we'll read through it together. If you guys want to stand with me as we read through the word together. Genesis 5, 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. Real quick side note. I'm not going to like teach on that, but notice right there that God has created man. It's repeating what we studied in Genesis 1, that God created man in his image. He created them male and female. And then... Notice how it mirrors what then it talks about Adam, that he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he called them mankind. And Adam lived 100 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So you already there see the likeness of God, the image of God carrying through. And remember in Genesis, we studied, it's not just simply the material, but it's the function of them. So Adam is carrying on, even though he's fallen, he's maintaining this image bearing quality and he's carrying on what God has done. And he, they are creating, they're procreating. So then we get into the genealogy and Adam lived 130 years and begot his son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 107 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years, and he begot Canaan. And after he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 850 years. And he had sons and daughters all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and, his, and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Jared lived 100 162 years and he begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years. He had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Hang in there. We're almost through this. Enoch lived 65 years and he begot Methuselah. 
after he got Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and he had a son and he called his name Noah saying this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground, which the Lord has cursed after we got Noah Lamech lived 595 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died and Noah was five years old and Noah begot Shem, Ham and Japheth. We are going to unpack that, but first let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Lord, as we were talking with you this morning, just thank you for being the fatherly example, for being the good father that we can, that we can look to. And that's an example for me as a father that was the example for my dad as a father. So we thank you for that on this day that we recognize fathers. And Lord, I ask for your guidance, Holy Spirit, for your help and even just, I would ask that you would even just completely take over, that you would use me to, as we unpack your word together, that you would be glorified in the things that are said and that all of us would uh, study together. And Jesus, that you would be the center, that you would be the hero in all this, that you are, you are the reason why we are. You're the reason that we have a hope and you're the reason why anything that we do has any eternal effect. It's because of what you've done uh, bringing us back into the family. So thank you for it. Would you help us now as we just aim to glorify you in our time together? In Jesus' name, amen. So you guys have a seat. So you remember last week we studied, there's a few things I want to clarify just because I think it can be confusing. Last week we studied the line of Cain. And so Cain's lineage um, went down through where he... Remember Cain built a city um, and named that city and that was Enoch. He named the city after Enoch and then it, it quickly goes through a lineage and it lands at Lamech. So those are all very, those are the same names that we're finding in this lineage. So the quick thing first is don't get them confused. These are different people. So Cain's line, we've followed Cain's line and now at the end of, which I really didn't get into last week, because I think I did bite off more than we could get through in our time together. So we get through Cain's line, and then at the end of, did I put it in here? Yep. So we get the end of Cain's line, and then there's this last glimmer of hope. Um, if you remember, as we've been unpacking Genesis, and I kind of, I said that chapter 3 through 11 we're going to hear these stories and it's like star Wars. I'm probably going to use that theme for a while now, but it's like star Wars where we're bouncing from planet to planet. And it's all these stories that have their own little plots, but there's an overarching story that's happening. That's the same thing in Genesis three through 11. We're going to hear a lot of different stories and follow these different things, but know that through all this, the common thread is this plot line that's happening, that it's the decline of humanity because we've had the fall in chapter three 
And then we're going to see this decline, 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 decline of humanity. And then we get to chapter 12 and this grand view that we've had so far is going to zero down on one guy when we get to 12. So just keep that in the back of your mind that there's this just overarching thread plot line that is just humanity going down. So we saw it in Cain immediately. Cain murders Abel, Cain leaves, and we see it. We get to, we follow Cain's line. Cain is the first polygamist where he has two wives and he's bragging about um, how his revenge is going to be 77 times that, which was uh, the, the vengeance that would be on, on Cain for anybody harming him. So he's, he's putting himself in this godlike state. It's he's full of violence. So we see the decline. And at the end of that chapter, which we studied last week, we then see it's Genesis four, 25 and 26. If you're right there, you just go chapter five, the back verses. And this is that glimmer of hope. Okay. We're starting a new line here. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son named Seth for God had appointed another seed for me instead of Abel whom Cain killed. And as for Seth to him also was a son born. His name was Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And so it's this glimmer of hope of that Cain line that we just followed, just like crash and burn immediately. And so now we're going back to, okay, they have another son, Seth. Now we're on this trajectory. And what can be confusing, that's why I'm trying to clear this up now, is there's repeated names through this. So you hear Lamech, which was our villain, so to say in chapter four, different Lamech. We have Enoch, different Enoch. There's just like, my name's John. There's a, a million Johns in the world. So we're doing that thing. It's just, there's, there's more than one of us. Um, and so we're following this new line and we're going to see like, okay, Cain was wicked. That's, and that's why I did the air quotes on Cain. Cause remember before I was saying, Life isn't as easy. We read the Bible and want to go good guy, villain, like protagonist, antagonist, which then if we were honest with ourselves and took a step back and looked at our own life, it's like, well, sometimes I was the villain and sometimes I was the good guy. We, life isn't as easy as a movie of good guy, bad guy. And so we followed this, this line of Cain being, the wicked bad guy, how fast it crashed and burned. And now we're up to Seth. And this is okay. Then at this time, men started to call on the name of the Lord again. So this is a hope. This is an, a new appointed one to Adam and Eve to replace Abel, which the Lord uh, loved. And so we launch into this genealogy and this genealogy, just um, quick overview is what we just read. We're going from Adam and we go all the way. It's linear, right? So it goes Adam and we run through it. Um, which there's two, there's two types of genealogies in scripture. There's linear genealogy. And then the other type is a horizontal genealogy is what you get when we get to Noah. So it goes linear all the way down. And then notice when it gets to Noah, it says, and Noah had 500 and Noah was 500 years old and Noah begot Shem, Ham and Japheth. So it's, and these are the sons that he has. And now you have this new starting block of, of names, not just boom, 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 this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And then we get here and then this family tree spreads out. So 
knowing kind of the literary design of this as we go through it. So we, we jump into this and we, we jump into this genealogy and I don't know if you guys would have this assumption. Um, I know there's a lot of, a lot of readers who immediately have one assumption right off the bat that I want to talk through. And is that through scripture being the firstborn is a big deal, right? We constantly see, this person, the firstborn, that's like the anointed one, this person, the firstborn. And the way this reads, we can assume that I, I think wrongly. So to kind of already state my case, we can assume that this is just going through the firstborn of each one. So we have Enosh live, uh, just as an example, Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. And after he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 800 years, 815 years and had sons and daughters. And so we read that we can read that linearly. And so he had this first son. So, uh, he has Canaan. And then in this next portion where it's describing how long he lived, he had other sons and daughters, right? Problem with that though, is one, it doesn't explicitly state these are firstborns and two, how does this genealogy start? Who's the first person in the genealogy? That's the easier question. Where did we start? Who was the first man? Adam, right? And then who did Adam have? Who, or who's next in line in this? He has Cain and Abel, right? And then who starts this genealogy? Seth. So is Seth the firstborn from Adam? He's not. So if Seth isn't the firstborn of Adam and we're running through this, then the pattern doesn't follow that these are all firstborn. So then we need to go, what is this genealogy then telling us? What is the trajectory? How is this being picked out? If these all, they can be firstborn, but if it's not exclusively that this is the firstborn, this is the firstborn, this is the firstborn, then we're following something. What is that common thread that we're following? So that's the first thing we look at. We see, oh, these aren't all the firstborn. This is telling us something else. Um, what that, what I believe that thing is telling us is it's following a characteristic. It's following a, a line that they share and it's targeted at where it ends up. So it's targeted. It's, it's a lineage that's starting from the bottom up. Let's think of it that way. So I'll give you guys an example. Um, and I'm going to try to make this part short. So there was a, a man from Tennessee. His name was uh, Herschel Kelly and he was a painter. He painted a water towers in, in Tennessee. And he moved to California and he married a Bohemian woman named Hertha and Hertha and Herschel lived in Watts, California, and they had 11 kids. So they had seven boys and four girls of those boys. The two youngest was Paul Kelly. And then the absolute youngest was Daniel Kelly. 
all of those kids, um, well, while they lived in Watts, Herschel and Hertha, which I'm going to mess up those names, <laughs> Herschel and Hertha, Herschel and Hertha Kelly were instrumental in planting a church in Southgate, LA. And um, all the kids, all 11 of the kids grew up strong believers um, involved in church. But Daniel, the youngest, was a troublemaker and was the rebel of the family. And so Paul, who is his, the next older brother, he goes, uh, well, while this is happening, this is the wild one. Um, while this part's happening, oh, dang, I always forget this one. Um, I didn't write it down and I always forget the name. Uh, there's a man, I'll just say in Kansas city, Kansas, there's a man who has a baby with a woman. He can't take care of the baby. He leaves the young girl at the time. Uh, can't take care of the baby. Doesn't want to take care of the baby. So she calls her brother in California and says, Hey, her brother's name was John Curtis. John Curtis, can you, would you take care of my baby? John Curtis was a pastor. Um, and he got on a train all the way out to Kansas city, met his sister at the train station, grabbed the baby. Um, and which the baby's name was treasure, which is awesome. Uh, gets the baby treasure, takes it all the way back to California. When he gets back to California, his church, has a baby shower for them. And he raises uh, John Curtis and Vernal Curtis raise treasure on their own. So treasures growing up. And then, so this is this Curtis family. And then Paul Kelly is growing up and Paul and treasure come together and they have uh, three kids, Dan, Dan, Sharla and David. And Paul at a really young age dies and he leaves uh, treasure alone with three young kids. Uh, David is the youngest and he's nine at the time. And so my grandmother uh, is, oh, I gave that away. So treasure, treasure is now visiting. Uh, Daniel is in and out of jail constantly and he's actually what I think of when I think of we are image bearers and we have this ability to use our image bearing for wickedness. We can use our creativity, which is us bearing God's image for evil. We can use these in these things that we've been given as humankind that is only unique to humankind. That's our image bearing. We can use them for evil or for good. Daniel was a natural born leader but was just a knucklehead. And so he's in and out of jail his whole life. And he was a leader in prison. And so he just ran gangs and, and ran groups. He would run, um, they were called blanket parties to where that's what they call them, which it's, it's way worse than it sounds. Um, they would, if there was an inmate they didn't like, or some guy was getting out of line, it was, they would grab him, throw a blanket over him, and then everybody would beat that guy. And Daniel was the ringleader. And so there was a lieutenant who made it his mission. 
I'm going to get Daniel in line because if I get Daniel in line, then I'm going to get the rest of this place in line. This, the jails, Daniel is the ringleader to all these problems. And so treasure whose husband has passed and she has three little kids is going and visits Daniel in jail. And Daniel asks, um, he's transferred or he's not transferred jail, but he's, he's in and out. He's trouble. And so at one point he calls treasure and says, Hey, will you go to the Lieutenant and ask him if I can have good time off, which means I've been good, which he hasn't been good that I've been good. I can get out early on my jail time. And she's like, I don't want to, but sure I'll go. And so treasure Kelly goes to the jail to meet with Lieutenant and the Lieutenant, this is his real name, but is Billy boy mink. So B I L L Y B O U Y mink, my last name. Um, so treasure meets with Lieutenant mink asks for good time off for her brother-in-law, Daniel, the brother of her husband who passed and bill being a hard, tough man says, absolutely not. That guy's a knucklehead. He's, he's a, he's in and out of jail. He needs to learn his lesson. And, um, she leaves and he, this is absolutely not supposed to happen, but bill calls treasure. They end up dating. They end up getting married and bill marries treasure and adopts her three kids, Dan, Sharla, David, David Mink being my dad. And that is now my family story. And this, and this is coming from treasure who was raised from parents that weren't her own. And that's me really trying to condense the, the crazy family history that I have, but just to get across to you, that's one long illustration of the only way of telling that story the only way of getting that across is I was leading us the whole time, right? To land at me. Cause you could break off any one of those places and you're following a different line. So the same way in this scripture, the point that's happening here is we're following a, a trajectory. There's a common thing that's happening, but it's getting to Noah. It's, it's aimed at landing at Noah. And so we're following this line through. So what's this? So if the reason is landing at Noah, what's the reason? Why are we trying to land at Noah? Um, I think we find it in the, the break of the cadence. So can any of you, and feel free to talk. You guys are all well behaved, so I don't have to get on you, but did anybody, when I was reading it, did anybody hear the break in the cadence of the genealogy? Ding, 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 ding. Yep. That's it. So something is happening there. Notice side, little side Bible nerd thing. That's the seventh one. And so it's God's number of completion. And also Jesus is in the lineage in Matthew. Jesus is the 77th one. So just 
little Bible trivia, if you ever want to know that. Um, so, but exactly right. There's a cadence that's happening all through this genealogy and then it breaks. So let's go through um, the genealogy first. So we know what it is and then we can recognize what's different. One, it's how long the father lived before having this son, how long the father lived after having the said son. And then the blanket statement had other sons and daughters. And like we just uncovered, it could be before it could be after doesn't know the total number of years lived. And then they all end as Krista said, and then he died. And then we get to Enoch and, and verse 21 and the cadence breaks. And that should cause us to hit the brakes. And like I've said before in Genesis, well, this chapter has the, the double difficulty going with it. One, I think we read through Genesis at breakneck speed because it's, we're so familiar with it. And so we fly through things and two, we don't read genealogy. So like one, the parts you do read, you fly through Two, you get to chapter five, uh, genealogy chapter six, and you just get past it. So if you read it and if you're going slow at a reasonable pace, this should then go as Krista, who's the strongest Christian among us all tonight. <laughs> uh, you get to verse 21, you go, well, that's weird. Why is that different? And then just ask yourself the question, what I just said, why is that different? So we unpack it and we see, we're going to see this a little bit bookend um, repeated in scripture. So remember at the very beginning, there was kind of a hint which we didn't realize we're not going to realize a hint until we get through the, the passage or the chapter, but is when it's talking about Seth in actually chapter four, it says, Oh, I put it back here. It says, um, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So there's this thing happening of Seth is beginning this legacy of pursuing the Lord of calling on the name of the Lord of, of getting back to a place of submission to the Lord. And then we get to Enoch and what's the thing that's said about him. That's not said in any other one. He walked. Yeah. He walked with God. And as Krista was saying, he didn't die. He was, he was taken. We can read that. Um, in Hebrews 11:5 so it says by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him for before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God so we see this line that Seth has has started this legacy this line that runs down through and then we see it Enoch Enoch walked with God it says it twice i believe um and then he's taken. He doesn't experience death. And then we continue forward again, a little Bible trivia nerd stuff is right there as well. Um, in this genealogy, Enoch is the shortest to live on the earth, not in height. I meant in length. So he lives 365 years, which is the shortest. And his son who is, uh, Methuselah, right? Or Mahalalel, the M's get me. Yeah, Methuselah, he lives the longest, 969 years. So 
Again, just Bible trivia. If you want it, those are side notes. Um, so then Enoch walked with the Lord and we, we see it's like a exclamation on this lineage that's, that's going down the line. Um, the other place that we find Enoch, we don't know a ton about Enoch. We see, we see uh, chapter five and then we see Hebrews 11 where it's, it's the hall of faith speaking of Enoch being taken away and not experiencing death. And then the other place we see it is in Jude and Jude quotes a prophecy from Enoch. And he says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So it's a quote from a prophecy from Enoch. There are in the um, Apocrypha, there's, so there's a lot of writing. I'm trying not to get in the weeds right now with this. So just, understand that as I get on this rabbit trail in the Apocrypha, there's a bunch of other writings that were happening in the old Testament and they aren't included in scripture. Uh, Martin Luther um, had a part to play in that. These aren't included in scripture. They're not bad to read. They're, they're just not considered. They're not part of the Canon. So you could read. Um, I'm saying this because there's Enoch first Enoch and second Enoch in the Apocrypha and um, first Enoch is the most popular, most widely read. And I'm saying this not to, you can read them, but it's like reading CS Lewis or reading another author. It's not Canon. It's not scripture. You can gain understanding and ideas from it, but it is uh, you use discernment like you would use, anything else. And so these are all writings that are happening at the time. The history isn't entirely accurate. And a common thing among them is that the references to Christ. So that's kind of why to, to simplify something that shouldn't be simplified. That's why they're not included in the Canon. Um, but an argument, I say all that to say that an argument that is made is that if Jude is quoting Enoch, then Enoch should be, Scripture should be part of the canon. That's a, that's an argument for what Enoch should be part of the canon of scripture because Jude himself quotes. And the counter argument, which I believe is true is that though Jude can quote a true prophecy from Jude, it doesn't mean that every word that Jude ever said or ever wrote was divinely inspired. And so the parts that the spirit wanted in word in the Canon, he made them in to get into the Canon and then everything else is not. So there's other authors of scripture who I'm sure wrote other things, but it doesn't mean that every time their hand touched pen or whatever instruments they used then that that's scripture, but it's, we know that scripture is Holy spirit inspired through humankind. Right? So even though the men may be writing it, it's what makes it living. What makes it the word of God is that the spirit is inspiring 
that writing. And so the spirit has brought together what he wants to say. And so we see Jude quoting Enoch. Um, and so the question then we have to ask ourselves is one, what's the common thing that's happening here? And, and we're not getting into a, a study of Noah. So we get past Enoch and we get to Noah and tonight we're not getting through a study of Noah, but we see, um, we'll, I mean, we'll see it next week as we unpack Noah, but Noah is the Lord loves Noah, right? The Noah is counted righteous, right? And so Noah is the, we have at Seth that this is the time that men begin to call on the Lord. We have the seventh generation from Adam is then, uh, twice the cadence is broken to emphasize that he walked with God. He walked with God and then he was taken away. He didn't experience death. And we get to Noah who is the target. Remember that we're following an actual planned path to land us somewhere specific. We get to Noah and Noah is a righteous man who then, I mean, we all know of Noah and the ark that God is going to save Noah and his family. So this line from Seth, he's going to save this family then to continue and to again, to rail on the, there's no heroes and villains is that spoiler alert. Noah gets saved. And the first thing he does, they get off the ark is sins and it's ugly. And we see again, this common thread that we have this line of Seth. So there's this subplot happening that we have to understand the subplot happening of these. Uh, this is a generation of, and it's funny how this kind of did become a father's day message. And I really didn't like, I didn't sit down and go, I got to do a father's day message, but it really just turned into one is that through this lineage, these men are, passing on a lineage of pursuing the Lord where Cain's lineage was of brokenness of selfishness of self-preservation of, I mean, running or not even running of defying the Lord to where it ends at, it ends quickly at Lamech. And so then we have this um, other family line that we're following and we're seeing them pursue, pursue the Lord. So this, this plot which is nice. It's kind of like, like I was saying this glimmer of hope, but then the sad thing is there's this, the subplot is still there and this subplot is still going down. And we see even we see, we'll see with Noah, how Noah, Noah and his family are the only ones saved. And then we want Noah, like in children's book, we books, we softball everything. And in children's books, we get this idea of there's, this is the good guy. This is the bad guy. And Noah was the great guy. And then we see Noah is a man and is just like any one of us. And he's has great moments and he has awful moments. And so there's not this like hero villain thing going on. It's God is the only one perfect. And the rest of humanity, even the good ones are on this trajectory without him to death, to failure, that we are in desperate need of a savior. That's that big overarching plot that I want to keep in our minds as we're reading through this. So what can we get out of this? 
So there's a lot of information. I think information is valuable. Um, hopefully you guys have learned stuff. Hopefully I've said stuff that you've heard before, or you haven't heard before, but that you go away with something that spurs you to read scripture, but it's also good. What can we pull out of this? The question I, this is just me. As I study, I just ask the Lord, you talk to me and the, and what affects me then is probably the thing that you're asking me to share. And that's how I do it. That's how I, I come at it. So my question is then here's this lineage. And then how did Jude get this prophecy from Enoch? So we have this line where there's this theme of pursuing the Lord, walking with God, righteous before the Lord. And then we have Jude is quoting Enoch in a time where it's not technology. So for this to get all the way there, what had to have happened? And this had to be a written lineage that carried through all the way to Jude. And it, to me, it speaks of the power of what we've been talking about it um, is that we are not individuals living an individual life with actions that only affect us individually, but we really are, whether you like it or not, whether you're making good decisions or bad, we are a people who affect the world around us. And we have to be thinking that way is that these, we see this lineage of, of Seth changing, changing something. Something was different with Seth, that it's this line that, that begins to happen, this lineage that's different to the point where a man doesn't die, but literally the Lord takes him up and doesn't experience death. Just him and Elijah are the only ones that, that aren't experiencing death. And they're what, people believe to be the two witnesses that come back in revelation because they haven't experienced death. Um, and so you have, you have this line going down and it's, it speaks to me of this is how they were living. A characteristic of these guys was that they were living for the, the legacy. They were living for the extent of not just, I'm trying to pay the bills. I'm trying to, to feed my family. And I'm trying to like, those are good things but they weren't in a bubble, but realizing that what, how I raise my boy, how I raise my kids, how I lead my family, how I am in my workplace will live on past me. Cain's legacy lived on past him and is a scar on his name. Still Seth's legacy has lived on uh, Enoch's legacy has lived on and it carried all the way to Jude. And we see the importance of us living outwardly and living for, for others when it's really the exact thing that's against our sin nature. I say it often, but we are idol factories and we are constantly, our default is to turn in on ourselves and wake up in the morning and go, how can this day, how can the people in my life, how can my circumstances, how can I get these to benefit me. And we just turn in to ourselves rather than go, what can I do today for 
my family? What can I do today for my friends? What can I do today for my coworkers? What can I do today for my community? What can I do today for my state? Whatever it may be, whatever realm that you've been gifted in, what can I do today for others? Uh, the Barna group, which does uh, a bunch of research and studies. So they did a study um, and 58% of people um, believers, 58% of believers said that they considered themselves to be a leader. That same group then said 82% of them of that same group said there's a serious lack of leaders today, which those statistics don't match up. So you have more than every other person calls himself. I'm a leader. Of course I'm a leader. And that same group then says, there's like no leaders. So it's like every other one of us said we were a leader. And then they're all observing there's no leaders. And so I forget the, I forget the guy's name, but um, I'll say an expert on uh, these issues. They, they sit down with him and I was reading the article. They sit down with him. They're asking him, what do you make of this? And He's and they're they're specifically talking about believers and how why is this happening and how do you make sense of that people hold these two things where they don't coincide they can't live together and he said the uh, the at the core of this is simply self awareness is that we have an idea of ourselves that we never check ourselves or have any kind of self-awareness to who we really are, to what we're really doing. And the way we check ourselves as we've been studying through Genesis is looking to scripture, knowing that, okay, God, you created me. Therefore, no matter how I feel about it, you know what's best for me. You know me better than me because you're the creator of me. And my feelings can go any which way of how I perceive myself, but I need to fall in line with how you see me. And so we check ourselves with the Lord and we have self-awareness and then we can come to a place of just simply viewing ourselves as leaders, as impactful as doing something isn't enough. We then go, man, I've considered myself a leader, but like, do I have any action that says that? Like, have I done anything have I do I lead anybody uh I've been having like Mike and I like conversations all the time just because we're around each other and so it's constant conversations and one thing I've noticed is that it we live in a world where it really makes sense that everybody thinks they're a leader because at any given time you pick up your mobile device, your computer, go on the social media platform of your choice and post your opinion as though it matters. As though there's a group of people who are sitting there asking you to lead them that they don't know what's going on in life and give us your opinion. And breeding this world of, yeah, I'm a leader, I'm a leader, I'm a leader. Like, who do you lead? I have like, 3 million Facebook friends and like this many people on Instagram is like, what, like, 
What are you leading? What are you doing? What are you doing in your family? What are you doing in your church? What are you doing in your community? What are you doing on your block that you live on? What are you doing in your workplace? And not, I don't mean to say that I say that to myself as well. That's the check that I have. And it's not, it's not a check that any, anybody has to me. Like you don't check in with me if you're a leader or not. It's the, we need to have a check with the one who's created us. Am I leading? Am I doing what you've called me to do? Or do I really not have self-awareness? And I, I like to think of myself in a certain way but my life doesn't match up how I see myself. My life doesn't coincide with my, the image that I perceive in my head of myself. And I, I believe, and I think this is um, what this scripture is, is giving us this genealogy is giving us is that as we lead and as we live outwardly and as we step out and you read that prophecy from Enoch, that's not a motivational speech of judgment coming. But as we step out and lead, it may be comfortable at times. Most of the time it's probably going to not be comfortable. Most of the times it's probably going to feel like work. Most of the time it's probably going to feel like sacrifice. Most of the time it's going to feel like you're doing something and you're hoping that it's going to be really, really, really hard work. And then after I finish it, then God's going to just like shower blessings and everything's going to work out. And sometimes right after whatever thing you feel like you needed to do, you'll even feel like you fall off a cliff after that. It's not always going to be easy, but know that no matter how we feel that we check, even those bad feelings with the Lord, we find our identity with him. We follow him. And though we can't like, we see just the thing right in front of us and we can't see this trajectory and Seth probably didn't see what was going to ultimately, I mean, didn't see what's ultimately going to come from him, the line that's, that's happening with him. But he started a legacy, and then we live that legacy out, and we pass that on. And so in a way, it feels like Father's Day, but also this isn't just a dude sermon. This is I'll call to us as believers to live outwardly knowing your actions again, don't only affect yourself, but they affect the world around us. And then as we live outwardly and we pursue Christ, that that legacy is going to live on beyond us. Um, which is always how I, at, at my dad's uh, funeral, when I gave the message, um, that was my, that was my thing is that his material belongings, whatever it was, everything can leave, but there's an intangible thing that I'll always have is his legacy is this thing that can carry on of the character of my dad, of who he was. And he's, he's handed me this thing that can never be taken from me. That is completely intangible, but is the greatest thing that he could have handed me. And now I I'm in this place of I can turn in on myself and sometimes I do. So sometimes I'm the good guy and sometimes I'm the villain, but I can turn in on myself and live only for me or I can turn outwardly. And then I realize that my little boy, my little girl, soon to be my second little boy are going to be watching dad and they're going to learn 
how to live. And they're going to, this legacy, it will be on, in my hands, how this legacy proceeds in front of me. And so all of us here may have, some of us may have been handed a terrible legacy. Some of us may have been handed a convoluted legacy, which like was most of my family, um, or left a great legacy. But we all are here today with choices in front of us today and tomorrow of how we move forward. And we can see that as we pursue the Lord, that legacy is, is going to carry on as we carry out the mission of Christ and living for others and living outside ourselves and living not focused on ourselves, but living for our families, our community, um, for our body, living for the body and all those things. 